So good to be here. It's good to be home. <laughs> we just came back from Alaska, uh, Australia last week, and it's always good to touch base and be back with family again. Um, I just want to share a little bit about um, why we need the healing of the heart. A few years ago, a friend in the United States, they bought a beautiful home in Acreage in uh, Idaho. And they would walk the, the land, and there was one particular spot where they found a lot of garbage, and they would pick it up and get rid of it, of course, and they'd go out the next time, and there'd be more garbage, and they'd go out the next time, and there'd be more. They couldn't figure out what was going on. And one day they went out there, and there was a bicycle tire sticking up out of the ground, and they thought, what's going on? And so Cliff went to a neighbor, and he says, do you know what's going on with that piece of property? And the neighbor said, well, don't you know? And that's never a good question, right? Don't you know? And Cliff says, no, I don't. And the man said, well, when uh, the original owner was building your home, he lived in a double-wide mobile home. And after the project was completed, he filled that mobile home with garbage and imploded it and buried it. And so the garbage that you're seeing is actually garbage that's rising to the surface. And so Cliff called the Environmental Protection Agency, and the man looked at a map, and he said, hey, man, you're going to have to do something, because that's right over the Spokane Aquifer. And that's where people in Washington and Idaho, thousands of people get their drinking water, their only drinking water. And he said that could contaminate the whole thing. And so they had to get the original owner to come back. He dug up the mobile home. He dug up the garbage. There were toilets and paint cans and all kinds of toxic things in there. And they, he had to dig it up and dig up the contaminated soil and replace it with new soil and bring everything back to the way it was. And we, you know, I thought, oh, what a great story. Can I use that? And Cliff said, sure. And so we talked for a while. The, the conversation changed. And all of a sudden, Nancy, she knew what I did as I ministered in Elijah House, the United States. And she knew what I did um, as far as ministry. But she says, you know, I just don't get this inner healing thing. And Nancy is a trauma nurse at a hospital. If you get in trouble, she's the one to go to. But she doesn't, she's not quite in the stream of healing of the heart, you know. And she said, I don't know why people just don't get over their stuff. I don't know why they just don't walk in faith and get over it and go on and do the stuff. And I just laughed and I said, Nancy, you gave me the best illustration just a few minutes ago. And I said, there are so many Christians and they know that they have this beautiful, glorious inheritance in the saints. They know that they have this relationship with God, and they're walking along, you know, living their Christian life, and all of a sudden, they see garbage. They see some sin. And so they pick it up, you know, and they throw it away, and then they're walking along, and they see some sin, and, you know, they're hoping nobody else sees it, and they hide it, or they try and deal with it. And then all of a sudden, they're walking along, and they trip over a bicycle tire. They trip over an addiction or something that they've been wrestling with and had had victory over. And it's like, why is this stuff surfacing over and over and over again? Why can't I get victory? And I said, you know what? Basically, we have a couple of choices. We can live our whole life dealing with garbage, trying to manage our behavior, trying to deal with those things that keep surfacing in our life, you know, the angers that come out of nowhere, the jealousies, the relationship difficulties, the addictions. We can try and deal with those, hide those, 
overcome those all of our life, or we can ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come? Let's dig it up. Let's find out where this stuff is coming from. There has to be a source. It has to be coming from somewhere. And I said, really, the choice is ours. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my whole life trying to manage my behavior, trying to look like a good Christian, act like a good Christian, and, you know, working hard and striving and missing out on this glorious inheritance that we've been given in Christ Jesus. And, you know, I came from Washington State, and we're quite proud of our apples, and I know New Zealand is too. But I used to think that if there was a worm on the outside of the apple, that that worm was trying to eat its way inside. But what I discovered is that there's a certain type of moth, and she lays an egg inside the blossom. And so all the while that apple is developing, that little egg is developing too. And so by the time you see the worm on the outside, it's eaten its way through the apple. And I think that's a good picture of you and me sometimes as Christians. You know, we try and shine up the apple, don't we? And if we see a worm on the outside, it's like, oh, pick that off. And I hope nobody sees. And we just kind of turn the apple so nobody sees the hole. Nobody sees the worm, right? Have you ever been there? Am I just talking to myself, right? We just want to look so good and act good and the whole deal. But you know what? It's the core problem. Jesus said really clearly that the problem is not so much in our behavior. The problem is in us. He said in Matthew 15, 19, he said, These things cometh from the heart, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, slander. He said, These are the things that defile a man. It comes from the heart. And so it's to the heart that we need to go, to the core of who we are. In fact, there's a Latin word, core, and it actually is the equivalent of our English word, heart. And so we need to go to the heart. You know, as Christians, we are to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Do you remember Sunday school? The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And so we know if we have that kind of fruit in our life, that we're drinking nurture from the Holy Spirit of God. We're drinking nurture from relationship, from the Word of God, from relationship with Jesus, God the Father. You know, our roots, we're being rooted and grounded in love, and we're drinking nurture, and fruit happens. It's not because we want to. It's not because we work at it. How many of you have ever tried to work to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Come on, <laughs> right? <laughs> now we're being more honest. I remember when I was a new mom and I had, you know, my house was a mess and the kids were, you know, really being bad that week. And so my patience was about this short. And so I was laying in bed one morning and just repenting to God and deciding that I would be the most patient mother in the world. You know, and I prayed in tongues, and I read the Bible and declared scripture, and I was going to do this, right? Because I was sorry that I was hurting my kids and being such a, you know, a stink all week. And so I decided I'm going to be patient. Well, you guys are laughing already because you know how long that lasted. I went and opened up my kitchen cupboard, and there were no coffee filters. 
yeah. I know who drinks coffee in this group. You know, that that's serious business. And it's like, ah! You know, the patience went right out the window, right? And so the fruit of the Spirit is not something that we can do. If we could, it would be called fruit of the flesh. And it pretty much stinks. And it looks really phony. You know, like these highly polished apples. Have you ever been in a store and you wonder if the apples are real? You know, and you go to pick them and, oh, I know in, in the shop that I go to get my hair cut, they had some green apples and they looked so real. I just had to pick it up. And I think sometimes we try and be like that, like these Christians that look great, but inside, in the core of who we are, there's some stuff going on. So if we have good fruit, then that indicates some good roots. But sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes in my own life, I have areas of my life where the fruit is inconsistent with the Holy Spirit. Unbecoming a child of God. There are times when I'm not loving, I'm not kind, I'm not patient. And if there's patterns of that, if that continues to happen... And we look at that and we think, wow, where does that come from? Where does the addictions come from? Where does the angers, the jealousies, the, you know, the lack of passion, the lack of power in the church today? God, where is that coming from? Well, oftentimes that kind of bad fruit is in that area of our life is rooted in something other than the Holy Spirit. It's rooted in a pool of bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, um, desires for revenge, unhealed wounds, unresolved trauma. And in that area of our life, oftentimes there can be some really bad fruit. And this is where it gets confusing because sometimes we can have wonderful, glorious fruit in some areas of our life, in church or in business, in friendships. But at home, there's some stinky fruit. Can any of you say amen? And you wonder, how can that be? How can a good tree bring forth bad fruit? Well, in that area, possibly, there is a root that you need to go to and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what that root is. The wonderful thing is, is the Holy Spirit, that's his job. He's come to comfort us, but also to convict us of sin. And so if we say, Lord, I see this fruit in my life, would you show me where that fruit comes from? He's so happy to do that. It's not about managing the behavior. It's bringing that to death on the cross, laying an axe to those roots so that we can be wholeheartedly Christ. Amen? And not phony Christians, but just living our life in such a way that people will see the love that we have for each other. They'll see the joy, and they'll want it. And so I have a little illustration that might kind of help. You know, we go through life, and our hearts are wounded. We're, we all go through trouble. In First Peter, it says, Think it not strange, the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing were to happen to you. How many of you have had a few strange things happen to you, Right? fiery trials, and Jesus prepared us for it. He said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart. You're going to have trouble, but take heart. But how many of us lose heart, and we lose hope? And oftentimes in that pain, especially when we're younger, 
especially like in those early formative years when our hearts are wounded and we don't have a lot of resources and we don't have a lot of wisdom to be able to, you know, to run to Christ or, or you know, to get help. Oftentimes when our hearts are wounded, we'll begin to self-protect. And we begin, and you can show the next slide, we begin to harbor anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred, thoughts of revenge, or we begin to disconnect from one another. And we harden our heart in that way, and we think that it's self-protecting, but it's really not, because in that place, actually we're endangered, aren't we? And there was a man that came for ministry, and he was a successful, very successful businessman. But the issue was anger. Actually, he didn't willingly come for ministry. His family sent him. <laughs> and you know how well that works, right? But he, he wanted to come, too. And so he came, and I asked him how his anger affected him, you know, his employees, his family, his relationship with God. And so he laid it all out. And so as we were interviewing, I said, sir, what's the benefit of your anger? And he said, there's no benefit. I hurt my family. I hurt my employees. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm paying you, by the way. He said, there are no benefits to anger. And I said, sir, if there wasn't a benefit, you wouldn't do it. And he thought, hmm, that makes sense. And so he did this, and he says, hmm. And I says, oh, no, no, don't go up here. If you could have worked this out in your head, you would have done that a long time ago. You're very clever. But the answer is not up here. The answer is in your heart. So let's listen to your heart and see what your heart says. And so, I mean, that was foreign language to him, right? But he gave it a try. He says, okay, what's the benefit of anger? And he pondered for a couple minutes, and he says, oh, when I'm angry, I can control people. I keep them at, the dis at a distance. I can make them do what I want them to do. When I'm angry, it doesn't hurt quite so much. When I'm angry, I feel powerful. When I'm angry, I can kind of call the shots. I'm the man. And I said, you know what? You can repent for your anger. You can even renounce it. We can even find some roots to that anger. But if you're unwilling to give up the quote-unquote benefits, you're going to hold on to it. And see how the anger was trying to protect his heart? But when we use it as a tool, it's very, very powerful and very, very destructive in our life. And as we stay in that place of unforgiveness and bitterness and resentments, oftentimes we will begin to judge the people who have wounded us. And we judge them, and we stand in that place of judge and jury and executioner, and we say, you're guilty, guilty, guilty. You are your sin. We're unable to separate what they've done from who they are. We can't separate behavior from identity, and so we say, you are your sin. And we, we judge them, and we often develop bitter expectancies about how life will go or how we'll be treated. And we begin to draw those very things to us. And when we sow those seeds of unforgiveness and bitterness and judgment and, you know, those bitter expectations, we will reap from that 
God says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever we sow, that also shall we reap. And so many of us are reaping from those judgments. We're reaping from those things in certain areas of our life. And we don't know where it's coming from. But again, it's important to ask the Holy Spirit. And let's go ahead and look at the next slide. And so we develop those bitter root judgments, those bitter root expectations. And I have a little story to tell you. When I worked at Elijah House, it was all on donations. And so one day they said, well, we don't know if we're going to get a paycheck. And this had happened before, as it does in ministries sometimes. But this time, my heart was filled with fear. I was almost paralyzed with fear. And I thought, what's going on here? You know, I had a little bit of savings. It didn't make sense. But my heart was filled with fear. And so, of course, I fought the good fight. And how do you fight the good fight? Ah, you quote scriptures, right? You pray in tongues. You cast out a few demons. You know, every demon of fear. God hath not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, soundness of mind. And the more I did that, the worse it got. It was crazy. <laughs> and so I went to my friend, Vermi, and she'd lived by faith for a long time. And I said, Verms, I'm just struggling with this fear. And she said, oh, Sandra, just believe. I was so mad at her. I tell you what, this anger, you know. And I thought, okay, there's this much response and this much offense. There has to be something there. And I just kicked myself around the block for a long time. Have you ever done that? You should be more mature. You should know better. What is wrong with you, Sandra? You teach this stuff, and you can't live it. Have you ever done that? Just, oh, what's wrong? And I just kept praying, and it just kept getting worse. Finally, I was driving in my car, and I just said, Heart, why are you afraid? And immediately, I had a memory. And I was a little girl, and I was hearing my mom and dad talk, and my dad told my mom, I don't know if we're going to make it. We may have to move. And fear entered my heart. I was probably about five years old. I was so scared. We were so poor. And I thought, what does it mean? It's going to get worse. Oh, we're going to have to move. And so that fear came into my heart. And I judged my daddy that he would not be able to provide for me. He would not be able to protect me. And so in that little girl heart, I decided, I'll take care of myself. Ha! I lived out of that judgment and expectancy and vow for a long time. When things would get tough, I'd work two jobs. I'd work 14 hours a day. And in fact, when this was happening in Elijah House, I thought, that's okay. I'll get a night job. If you've ever done prayer ministry for eight hours, you know there's nothing left of you at the end of the day to work another job. But I thought, hey, I can do this. And I realized that I had made that judgment on my earthly father, but I was reaping it in my relationship with God. And it wasn't my earthly father now that I thought couldn't take care of me, but it was my daddy. Now, if you would have said, Sandra, do you believe that God's going to take care of you? I would have said, of course I do. Let me give you a few scriptures. I believed him. I believed that he was my provider. I knew that he would take care of me. But there was a part of my heart, remember, a part of my heart that was stuck in the fear, that was stuck in the judgment, and stuck in the bitter expectation. And so why didn't God just let me have victory by casting out demons and praying in tongues and reading scripture and declaration? 
because he wanted my heart. He wanted me to see there was something unhealed, that there was sin in my heart. And so after I broke that, my relationship with God, I mean, it just was so much better. And I was able to rest in that place of provision. And so when we make those bitter judgments and bitter expectancies, let's look at the next slide. Oftentimes, we will make inner vows to try and protect ourselves. And they're pretty easy to recognize by saying, I will always or I will never. I'll never let anybody hurt me that way again. I won't be vulnerable. I'll be strong. I won't cry. I won't need people. I'll be good. I'll be the good girl. I'll be the good boy. I'll be the good Christian. And remember what happens when we make those determinations in the flesh? We maintain them with the flesh, and we begin to live out of the flesh. And so inner vows are very, very powerful. And some people say, well, why don't they just disappear at conversion? Why don't they just go away? I've changed my mind. But you know what? It's not an issue of the mind. It's an issue of the heart. And so we need, and it's an issue of will, And Jesus won't cross that will line. And so we need to renounce those vows and say, Lord, I vowed to take care of myself. I break the power of that vow. I vowed not to be vulnerable. Lord, I want to open up my heart to you now. I break the power of that vow in Jesus' name. And if there's a vow, there's always, always a judgment. If you've made a vow I won't trust, there is always someone who was untrustworthy. And if there's a judgment, expectancy, there's always, always a wound. So we just keep working backwards to find the root. And so when we make those inner vows and the judgments, the structure begins to grow. And next slide, we see that we oftentimes come to believe lies about ourselves. I'm unworthy of love. I'm ugly. I'll never amount to anything. Or we believe lies about life or God. And then as that structure begins to grow, this is painful structure, right? And we think that it's protecting our heart, but it's really not. And in the last slide, we can see in the very outside of this circle, we begin to try and medicate the pain, avoid the pain, deny the pain, and we develop all kinds of sinful ways of medicating pain. Do you know a few? Alcohol, drugs, I hate to, oh, I knew somebody would say that, chocolate, shopping, religion, wow, you think so? Yeah, or we try and avoid the pain by busyness, by working, by all kinds of creative and most often sinful ways, amen? And so when this is, this is a structure that develops into a stronghold. So let's say you see me, and I have a stronghold in, at work in my life. What's the first thing that you see? Do you see my heart? Do you see who I really am? No. What do you see? The outside. The smoking, the drinking, the, you know, the sexual relationships outside of marriage, the anger, the cursing, all of that stuff, Right? And so as good Christians as we all are, what's our first temptation? We want to deal with the outside. Yeah? Of course. 
And so, again, we, we help people to manage their behavior, to stop doing what you're, they're doing. And if people are really motivated, oftentimes they'll stop and they'll get some victory. But when that same, we've still got the broken heart. And so when we feel the same pain, oftentimes we're triggered back and we don't have those things that we used to reach for to feel better. So the temptation is to reach for them again or to reach for something new. We stop smoking and we gain 40 pounds. We stop drinking and we have all of the fruit of alcoholism. We're a dry drunk. We give up an addiction and we become religious. Do you see how we trade things? <laughs> We're not really dealing with it. We're just trying to look good. But the key is to go to the heart. And this last slide is one of my favorite scriptures. Oh, no, this isn't it. This isn't a favorite. I forgot about this one. Let's, let's go back to the Satan thing. And in this kind of structure, guess who loves it? Satan. I mean, lying, unforgiveness, bitterness, all of those things, judgment, that's his territory. And so he lives there. And oftentimes, we'll go for deliverance, and if someone has a gift of discernment, they will discern that we have a demon, and they'll cast it out, and we feel wonderful. But you know what? They have to go because they have to obey the name of Jesus. They have to obey the blood of Jesus. But if this structure is here, if this nice, tidy little house is here with all these footholds and opportunities, guess what? They're going to come back, and usually they bring friends. Amen? How many of you have gone through deliverance and all of a sudden it's either worse or you're struggling with the same thing again and you think, well, that didn't work? And there are so many people who become discouraged and they think, I've tried and tried and tried. I've confessed and confessed and confessed. I've got saved over and over again. Nothing seems to work and they, so they give it up. Or they really kick it into gear and really work hard to be the good Christian that they want to be and deal with the outside of the circle. And we can go to the, to the next slide now. And the key is removing the footholds, why the enemy has opportunity in our life. And as that structure is dismantled, then the enemy doesn't have a place to live. Amen? It's very gentle, this type of deliverance, but it does take time. This kind of ministry does take time. I do like Jeremiah 6.14. Jeremiah was known as the lamenting prophet. And in the message, it, he paraphrases it this way. My people are broken and shattered. And they put on band-aids saying, it's not so bad. You'll be just fine. But things are not just fine. How many of you have heard that? Oh, it's just fine. Or you get this God bless you prayer and inside your heart is broken in pieces? You ever been there? We've got to get beyond the bandage. We need to learn how to minister to one another in deep ways. We need to learn how to go to the heart, how to bring this, this kind of structure to death on the cross. When... In Proverbs 4.23, Scripture tells us to guard our heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. But oftentimes, we try and guard our heart in ways that God didn't intend. 
we make those inner vows, we build those strongholds, we, we build those walls around our heart, and people can't get in, and we can't get out. And we want to be intimate with God. We hear about that in church, about intimacy God, with God, relationship with God, enjoying worship, enjoying miracles. But we can't get there. And oftentimes it's because we're imprisoned in these strongholds that we've built. There was a man that was molested at four years old, and he came for ministry, and he um, had a lot of really bad fruit in his life. And so I asked him about being molested, and he says, oh, no, no, I've forgiven that. It's all done. It's all over with. And I said, well, hmm, okay, that's what the adult says. How about that little boy? You were, you were four years old when you were molested. How about that part of your heart? What is that part of your heart? Think about all of this. And so, again, this was foreign language to him, but he decided to give it a try, and he listened to his heart. He connected. He allowed the Holy Spirit to connect him with that part of his heart, and he says, oh, I haven't forgiven. And I said, why not? And he said, nobody's heard my story before. I've never talked about this. And this guy got off scot-free. And I've been living with the consequences of this all my life. I've carried the pain all my life. And he, he just got off with nothing. And so as we talked, there was all kinds of unforgiveness that came to the surface. There was all kinds of anger and sadness and desire for revenge. He didn't know that was in his heart because he had forgiven he was the good Christian, right? And so many times we forgive with our head and our will. That is not bad. That's good. We choose to forgive. We choose to come into agreement with the word of God and obedience with the word of God. But Jesus said in um, Matthew eighteen thirty-five that we need to forgive from the heart. And so many times we've forgiven on a surface level, but our heart isn't in agreement. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit to take us into that pain, to take us into that brokenness, and to reveal what's still there. And to bring it to death on the cross. Not just to talk about it, but to bring it to death on the cross. We need to invite Jesus into the pain. If you remember the scripture, Revelations 3.20, Jesus said this. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come in, I will sup with him, and he with me. Now, we've used that. How many of you have used that for evangelism? Yeah, it's a good scripture, but Revelation is actually written to the church. And so this is kind of startling, that Jesus could be outside the door of our heart knocking, and some people have a really hard time with that. But, 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 but Jesus is in my heart. He's not one foot in and one foot out. Uh, he's all the way in. And I said, would you consider this? Maybe there are some things in our life that we don't want to look at, that we've pushed down, closed the door on, kind of like a closet. Maybe there's shame that we haven't wanted to look at or talk about you know, unresolved trauma, and we've just pushed it in a closet and we've shut the door. And maybe that's the door that Jesus is knocking on. It's just a part of your heart. 
when my kids were little and the house was really messy and we'd get a call from a neighbor, hey, we're in the area, can we come visit? We'll be there in 10 minutes. Oh, that's lovely, sure, come on. And you hang up and you say, kids, get busy, clean the house, you know, and you shove everything in the closet and you shut the door and you're just hoping that nobody opens that door while company's there, right? Well, I think there's a whole lot of us, maybe some of us in this room, and we have some closets in our heart. And we've shoved down pain, but pain that's buried alive stays alive until it's brought to death. We've pushed down emotions. We've pushed down our fears. And they don't go away. They morph and mutate. And sometimes that closet just starts to bulge, and it just gets all over everybody else in our life, right? Because wounded people wound people. And that's why we pursue healing. It's not so much about us. It's that we hurt people in our woundedness. And it affects our relationship with God. If you don't understand about covenant uh, relationship, you miss a whole lot in this little scripture. But in biblical days... If you ate with somebody, you made covenant. You shared salt with them. So they never ate with their enemies. So when Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you let me in, it's your choice. If you let me in, I'll come eat with you. I'll make covenant with you. I'll share salt with you. I'll be your friend. I'll help you with this. Isn't that amazing? He says, I'm not your enemy. You don't have to be good for me. You don't have to be all cleaned up to ask me in. Just let me in. I'll sit down. I'll have a cup of tea with you. Probably coffee. I'll have a cup of coffee with you. I'll be your friend. But there's also another aspect of covenant, and it's called threshold covenant. And in order for Jesus to go through that door, he would have to cross the threshold. And threshold covenant is binding. It's very powerful. And in many uh, Eastern countries, it's in effect today. And basically what that means is the owner of the home is obligated to protect you even if it meant giving up his life for you. And there's an obligation for the guest. When the guests cross that threshold, they would bring peace. They would bring support. They would bring... Um, uh, they, they would just be there for you and be, um, honor you. They would bring honor to you. And that's why Jesus said, the good shepherd goes through the door, but the thief cometh in another way. Even thieves in biblical days honored this covenant. They would not cross a threshold to rob from you. They'd go through a window, they'd go through the roof, but they would not cross a threshold. It's that powerful. Isn't that amazing? And so when Jesus said, I'm going to come in, I'm going to make this covenant with you, I will fully support you. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro over all the earth to fully support those whose hearts are stayed on him. I will fully support you in this. I will bring you peace in your fears. I will bring you peace in your pain. I want to come into this place. I'm your friend. I'm the good shepherd who gives you everything that you need. And so as I prayed about this, I said, Lord, what's my obligation as the owner of this closet? What does it mean about dying? And then I realized, you know what? It does take a death. We have to die to these old ways of trying to self-protect, 
these old ways of trying to keep things pushed down and suppressed so that we look good and everybody thinks highly of us and we get those attaboys or girls. It does take a death, death. It does take courage. I always say inner healing is not for sissies. It takes work. It's a process. I couldn't even say the word process for years. It's like, you know, it's like, show me the goal. I'll get there. I didn't go for this process stuff until I started seeing the bad fruit in my life. There was a man that came for ministry, and he sat down, and he put his legs out, crossed his arms, and he said, I don't believe in this prophetic stuff. And on the outside, I said, oh, why so? On the inside, I said, bummer of a deal that you're in a prophetic ministry. (laughs) I wonder how this is going to work. And I said, well, why don't you believe in the prophetic? And he said, I go to all kinds of different places, different conferences, different settings, and the speaker will always pick me up out of a out of a crowd, and say, this is who you are, and this is what God has called you to be. And he said, they're not right. Everyone, it's always the same word, but it's not right. It's not me. It's not what I'm doing. <laughs> and he shared his life, and it really wasn't what he was doing. And I just said, would you consider this? Maybe God is pursuing you, and he's saying, this is who you really are. You're not acting like yourself. There's a lot of bad fruit in your life. But if you're willing to commit to the process of bringing those things to death, I believe that you will discover who you are and what God has called you to. And so he said, yes, let's go. Back then we did 15-hour weeks, so it was 15 hours of prayer ministry. At the end, you would not have recognized this man when he walked out of that room. And that's my passion, is to see people restored to their identity and to their destiny. I love the story of Michelangelo when he was making the sculpture of David. And they said, what a magnificent thing. How'd you do that? And he said, I just studied the marble and chipped away everything that wasn't David. And that's what we do, is chip away everything that's not us. Bring it to death on, our, on the cross. St. Catherine of Siena said, Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. Don't you love that? Not so long ago, actually, I was at my uncle's funeral, and I stood at the grave, my toes in the dirt, And everybody was saying these wonderful things about him. And this anger started coming up. My toes went through me, went through my head. I thought my head was going to blow off. And I thought, what the heck? This man is dead. What's going on, Lord? And so on the drive home, I said, Lord, where did that anger come from? What's going on? And the Lord gave me a memory. And when I had taken my Elijah House school and we studied about sexual abuse, I had most of the symptoms, I had most of the fruit of sexual abuse, but I didn't know where the root was. I didn't have a memory. But that day I remembered, and I was a little girl, and I was sitting on my uncle's lap, and I had this beautiful little dress on. 
and my dad was sitting really close to us, and they were talking back and forth, but they were both very drunk. And this was in dad's early days. He became a Christian and had a wonderful conversion. But at this point, he was drunk, and my uncle was molesting me under my dress right in front of my father. And I wanted to say, Daddy, my dad was a logger. He had these big arms. He was strong. He was my hero. And I wanted him to see, and I wanted him to do something, and I wanted him to stop what was going on. And I wanted him to stop the shame and to stop the pain. And I wanted to, too. But the words just got stuck in my throat. It was like I was paralyzed. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like I, could, I couldn't see anything. And so that day I realized that I had judged my dad. I had judged men, and I judged myself that men were abusive, that they wouldn't listen, that they wouldn't care, that they wouldn't see my pain. And I began to expect that. And it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to imagine what I reaped for years and years. And I made some inner vows not to let anything like that happen again, to protect myself. And so I begin to build this hard heart. I forgot that. I pushed that down. That was a closet. But you know what? The fruit was seeping out of it. The bad fruit was seeping out of it. But until I stopped and said, God, where's this anger coming from? And the Lord revealed it. And the Lord healed me. And I'm so glad because the Lord gave me a wonderful gift in Peter. But until that point, after so much pain and so much woundedness and so much rejection from the man, I had pretty much closed my heart to the man. And I had gold-plated that. I'm living a life for Jesus. I'm too busy for relationship. I don't want to go down that path again. No, thank you. Thank you, but no, thank you. John Sanford, it was funny. We were in Japan, and the Lord gave him a vision of my husband-to-be five years before I ever met Peter. And John Sanford says, you know, he's known as the father of the prophetic, for heaven's sakes. And he says, the Lord has just shown me by vision your husband. And I just did this. I said, John, you're such a matchmaker. I don't want to hear it. You know, now I think, oh, my gosh, that was not an answer you should have given this guy. But it's like I wasn't ready for it. I didn't want to hear it. And it was so nice, wasn't it? It was. And it was good. And I was doing all this good stuff for the kingdom. I didn't know that stuff was in there until the Lord showed me. And do you think those kinds of judgments and expectancies would affect my ability to receive Peter? Yeah. And do you think that those judgments on men and those expectations would affect my relationship with my father? Yeah. So it's important that we deal with those things. And I just want to close now. 
And maybe some things have stirred in your heart. And maybe you've recognized, you know what, there's some bad fruit in my life. There's some stuff that I've tried to get victory with and haven't been able to. If that's you, would you invite Jesus to come? Would you invite Jesus into the process and say, Lord, that's me. Lord, I know there must be a root somewhere. I don't know where it is, but I'm willing to begin the process. I'm willing, Holy Spirit of God. And so let's just quiet our hearts. And if that's you, if you've recognized I've got some stuff going on, Lord, I need you. I'm going to ask you, everybody, just to close your eyes for a minute, except for you parents and your kids are coming in. But just kind of close your eyes just a little bit. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And remember, it takes a whole lot of courage to say, Jesus, come into this part of my heart that I might be wholeheartedly yours. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us the courage. Give us the heart. Give us the heart, Lord. So I'm going to ask you to do a very brave thing. If everyone can just keep your eyes closed, because this is just between us and God. But perhaps there's some of you, and you said, yes, this is me. I recognize the fruit. I recognize things stirring in my heart, even right now. If you want to say yes to Jesus, to the process of healing, the process of dismantling the structure, Would you just raise your hand to Jesus and say, Jesus, that's me. I just want to do that, Lord. I want to be real. And so you can lower your hands. Lord, you saw the hands. You saw the hearts. And Lord, I know that you're faithful. Lord, you said, if you hear my voice and open up the door, I will come in. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you've come in. Even as we've raised our hands and opened up our heart, you've come in. And Lord, we thank you that it may not be instantaneous, but we know, Lord, that you're faithful and that you will heal and restore. Lord, I pray for each one as things were stirring, even with the stories that I told, that you would be God of the stirring and that you would bring your healing into those deep areas of the heart, Lord. And Holy Spirit, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your gentleness that convicts us of our sin. And so would you show us, Lord, the fruit of our lives, Lord, that fruit that's inconsistent with love, inconsistent with you. Jesus, we want to manifest you well. We want to represent you well. So, Lord, would you come into those places where we're not acting like ourselves? We're not acting like the child of God that you've created us to be. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. We give you permission. 
And we open up our hearts today in Jesus' name. And those of you who raised your hand, if you would like prayer today, I don't want to stir things up and not have prayer available. So if the Bay City prayer team can come, we want to pray for you. And also we've been training some people, Marn Bruce and Taryn Vivian, Annie, um, if you would come up too. And if you would like prayer today, we want to pray for you. So come forward now and we just pray a uh, prayer of blessing and release in Jesus' name.